0: Let's all take a moment to talk more than football.
1: This week, Sean Dyche took his evergreen clarets down to the Emirates, with the aim being to earn his first ever point against an Arsenal side in the Premier League. This is the Known and Ever podcast.
2: Hello everyone and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. George Poole here. I'm just coming off the Emirates after the Clarets have succumbed to a 2-1 defeat to Arsenal. After what was a very promising first half, gotta say, second half was a little disappointing. Uh, Arsenal opened the scoring with Lacazette. And then we kept in the game, we kept it at 1-0. And then towards the end of the first half, Barnes has come in. Of course, man of the hour is the talk of all the radio stations at the moment. Ashley Barnes slots home to make it 1-0. I've got to say, though, it was all McNeil for, the, for Burnley's the goal. He'd skinned probably one or two players, showed he's, he's at home here in the Premier League, and he's put in the, I think it might have took a deflection, so McNeil might not have got the assist. But the first goal, no doubt about it, was all about McNeil's contribution. So at half-time, it was really promising. We were thinking, we're going to the second half and Arsenal here for the taking. But unfortunately, the Clarets have fallen to a 2-1 defeat after a Bamiyang, of course it was, has scored against us yet again. Somehow, he's only played four games against us and yet he's already Arsenal's second top scorer ever against Burnley. Sorry to take Dave's gimmick there with the stat, but he's just too good for us at the moment. I think the biggest shame from the second half wasn't the fact that we've lost, but it's that we didn't really create anything in that second half, unfortunately. I think the strike partnership of Barnes and Rodriguez looks worryingly static, I'm not going to lie. And it was very un like when he took Chris Wood off after 60 minutes. I mean... Dash making a substitution before the 75th minute, unheard of. But we kept going till the end. There was a moment near the end where Barnes was almost through on goal, but Mike Deans pulled him back for a trip on the Louise. Typical top six bias, that's all I'm saying. But that's the report from here at the Emirates after the game. Scores on the doors, two on Arsenal. Unlucky, but some promising signs for the season ahead. Up the Clarets.
3: Mixed feelings uh, from that result today obviously proud of the performance, I thought we played well um, and I thought we deserved to come away with a point which makes it even more disappointing. Um, What's frustrating though is that the two goals that we conceded I thought were poor goals, I thought Peters got turned too easily for Lacazette's goal and then uh, Gunmanson obviously was was too slow on the ball. And obviously got caught out for the goal and you can't do that with someone of uh, Aubameyang's uh, class. But I thought overall um, it was really pleasing, um, especially in the first half. I thought we started to knock the ball um, around really well, created good chances. Uh, Players were linking together. Um, I thought McNeil again looked bright, especially in the first half. Um, So yeah, again, just disappointed really. Again, further thoughts if we play like we did today, uh, you know, with having the same bravery to get on the ball, defending as well, looking like a team, being as sharp, I really do think we'll have a good season and, you know, we can aim to come, you know, mid table. Um, I thought for them, if we're reviewing Arsenal a little bit, the new signing, uh, Danny Caballos was, up, you know, was outstanding, he'll be a great sign, I thought Pepe looked good um, when he when he, when he he come off the bench, and even though they did play a lot of nice football, which I'd expect Arsenal to do, um, you know, they didn't completely rip us open time and time again, even though Pope had to make a few good saves, which is really nice uh, to see him playing well. I thought, going back to the left-back did, debate, I thought Peters did okay, but I'd still like to see Taylor uh, playing with McNeil So yeah, so just to summarise all that, proud of the lads good performance, if we took a draw, I don't think anybody could have really begrudged us but in the end, just a little bit of uh, sloppiness uh, giving the ball away in our own half cost us.
0: Well my post-match analysis of that straight afterwards, after watching it in the White Bear in Barraford, uh, I'm very proud of the Burnley team they put a great show on. It was a much better performance than we've seen before at the Emirates. But why oh why, Ashley Barnes, you're so great. Why did you make that foul at the end of the match? Tut tut. All I can say is V A R do doot, do do do.
1: Gosh, and lots to talk about there. Thank you, George. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Liam, for your immediate post-match reaction there, all from the Emirates. I am, of course, your host, Natalie Bromley, and we are back in the studio to dissect in a little bit more detail just exactly what happened at the Emirates at the weekend. I am joined by one new-look panellist and one old panellist joining us for his second season, and he is actually with us in the flesh, this week, he's managed to make it, even though we are 20 minutes late recording. It is, of course, Robbie Kopak. Robbie eventually welcome back
4: how are you doing you okay <laughs> yes
1: we're good thank you and i'm joined this week as well with another new look panelist we are getting spoilt this season um listeners who were with us last season will recognize this voice as our teacher from wigan richard who is joining us all season richard welcome back i'm really excited you're joining us for a full season
3: hi natalie how are you this evening
1: i'm good thank you and it's very good to have you now thank you very much. Let's crack on because we have lots to talk about now. Obviously, as we know from that initial reaction, Burnley away at the weekend to arch nemesis Arsenal, and unfortunately, it is ten games out of ten and a complete blank slate for Sean D'Arch. He Has still not managed to pick up a point against Arsenal. However, Richard, what a good performance! I mean, you were at the you were at the ground on Saturday. I actually thought that that was one of the strongest performances and one of the most even performances that we've ever given against
3: Arsenal? Yeah, we played some really good football, especially in the first half. We got the ball on the floor, passed it about, got into some really good attacking positions, got a good goal, where McNeil got past his full-back. Um, And I think not just against Arsenal, I think away from home, that's one of our best performances um, away at a top-six team. I've seen a start, I may be wrong, Dave listening will know better than me, but seeing Arsenal had 16 shots and we had 18, and uh, that very, very rarely happens that uh, we outscore anybody, never mind, uh, sorry, out, out shoot anybody, uh, anyone, never mind the top six team. So, yeah, really positive performance. And when he was walking away from the ground, he was disappointed that we didn't come away with anything.
1: Yeah, I was really disappointed. Um, Robbie, I think what I got from the game on Saturday was just that... We didn't look like a side who were just almost playing a cup final against Arsenal and, and they're just a bit, you know, bright eyed and, and, and looking at and being a bit overwhelmed by our surroundings. We looked really comfortable and we actually looked like a strong, established Premier League side, almost in the brackets of your Leicester's, your West Ham's, and, and your Watford's, those kind of teams.
4: Yeah, definitely. It it had I keep I keep like thinking back to like the start of last season where we really lacked an identity. We really lacked that. Sean Dyke's sort of stamp. And you watch, you've watched the Arsenal game. I, I I really thought for the large parts of the first half we were better side. Maybe not the better side, but we definitely looked like the side more likely to score. Um it was just a really positive performance. I can't really I can't really think of many negatives. Um maybe my only slight negative is maybe when we took Chris Wood off and maybe I think we lost our effectiveness a little bit. I think I don't think Jay Rodriguez really got into the game, but other than that, like it was a really strong performance. So we nearly got something from it.
1: Yeah, well, let's stick with that, Robbie, because that's actually one of the things I wanted to speak to you about this this afternoon. And I I genuinely felt that he'd maybe made that substitution a little bit early. Now I think sometimes we've all been a little bit. Um, laughing at Dutch and saying, oh, you know, he, he makes a change with five minutes to go and it's usually to, to try and see how to game. But he made the substitution really early. He had Jay warming up at about 57 minutes. And, and at the time, I was a bit surprised to see the change because I thought we were looking really good. Um, did you see anything, Robbie, that made you question why that change came when it did? Because you're right, I didn't think that Jay was as effective as, as Wood when he came on.
4: Yeah, I can't really put my finger on what it was. Um I wasn't against the substitution as such. I were more, I was actually more excited to see what kind of impact Jay would have. Um, I thought he'd have more of an impact. I thought he'd run the channels a little bit more than he did. I thought he'd drop into like, you know, into that that number ten a little bit more. But he just never really seemed to get into the game, and I I really think that's where the game really got away from us after that.
1: I think we will see much more of Jay. I think it's just too early days yet. And like I say, we we've got a team of players who are so used to playing with wooden barns up front and they know exactly where everybody's going to be, that it's gonna take time for Jay to, to put his own stamp on the game and to find his own partnerships with these players. So I'm not unduly concerned about that at all. Um Richard, were you surprised to hear, I mean, we knew this way before the game was going to start, but were you surprised that, that Drinkwater had been left out again? When when do you think we're going to see him?
3: Uh, no, I wasn't surprised. I think there was a lot of, obviously, talking uh, in the media and the press that he was going to get uh, some minutes under his belt in the under-23s. Um, and I've seen, obviously, on, on Twitter today, there's quite a lot of stuff coming out that he's only going to play on the 14th of September against Brighton. But we all know what Dice is like. He, he wants his players to get fit. Uh, both physically and through match sharpness, um, so and I think the way Cork and West would have started, been really impressed with Cork the first two games of the season. He looks like with a good preseason under his belt. He's come back sharp, he's come back fit, and he's playing well. So I don't think there's a massive, massive rush uh, to get him playing. Um, but at the same time, maybe in a game like that, where you know second half, you could you could see was getting a little bit tired in midfield. It would have been good to have the option of him coming off the bench, but I'm sure we'll see that over the course of the season.
1: Yeah, I'm sure we will. Um, so despite um an absolutely phenomenal first half, I thought from from the Clarets, from one of the strongest performances I've seen, we did go one 0 down. Um quite a disappointing goal to concede. It, it all started in a sequence of, of Ben me being judged to have handballed um handled the ball, sorry, in just outside of the area and, and a free kick came from it which then went out um I think for a corner if I remember correctly, and it was ultimately then pushed through the uh, legs of Nick Pope and, and a very tight angle into the corner. Um, Robbie, just talk us through the goal that we conceded, because I think there was a couple of things in there that we I wanted to dissect. I think from your perspective, the defending for the goal, do we have any concerns there?
4: Yeah, I I thought the defending for the first goal was awful. Like Aubameyang's got a turn against two players you know like are you pretty uh, sorry who got the first he wasn't a Bamian he was Lacazette it was Lacazette it? yeah it was Lacazette his first goal so yeah right. sorry I <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just I just thought he, he ter- turned Eric Peters far too easily for me and Nick Pope well it goes under his legs It's probably not a lot he can do but whenever a goalkeeper's beat at his near post you're you're often questioned anyway but I, I don't often I don't agree with the Sean Dyche argument with the, the handball because I think we have to we should deal with a corner an awful lot better and then there's like a second ball which we don't deal with that eventually goes to Lacazette. So we had two or three opportunities to clear the ball and we don't clear it and we got punished.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure I'm, I'm particularly concerned about the Ben Me handball either. There's, there's obviously quite a bit of confusion going on at the moment because we are with the new handball rules this season and I think for me that was a handball last season, it's a handball this season, it's just a handball. I, I can have some sympathy with me in that I think in his head... He was trying, genuinely trying to get his arm behind his back. Maybe he was conscious of the new rules about the, um, well, the, whether it's accidental or deliberate, it's irrelevant and, and, and the, the whole unnatural position of your arm. But at the end of the day, he handled the ball, so I don't have any problems there. Um, Richard, do you share Robbie's view there? Or do you think we were just outdone by a class player?
3: Yeah, I thought that was, I completely agree with Robbie. I thought it was poor defending uh, from Pete, Peters against Lacazette. Um, me kind of he turned the other way. Me was covering uh, the other the other direction, and yeah, for someone who's quite a strong player like Peters, he, he just got far turned far far too easily. Um, and I think if Lacazette didn't score, it could have been a penalty and as well because it seemed to pull him down. But I don't think Pope can take much blame from that because uh, it's from so close and he just fired it at, at him and he didn't have the reaction time uh, to close his legs. But yeah, I thought Peter should have done better with the goal.
1: Yeah, I've seen a few people question whether Nick Pope um, could have done better for that goal. I think that's pretty harsh, to be fair. Um, Just judging by the angle he was at, and and like you say, the reaction time he had, I really don't think there was anything he could have done there. I think he managed to get himself low down as much as he possibly could, so I've got no criticisms from Pope there. Um, Richard, just sticking on Nick Pope for the moment, um, how do you think he's done since he's come back into the side?
3: Um, against Southampton, it was hard to judge. Really, he made one good save, um, and other than night he didn't really have a lot to do. Uh, but he was, you know, pretty tidy. Um, and I thought on Saturday, especially in the second half, when I, you know when our house were attacking, counter attacking, you know, he made some wonderful saves, and he looked, you know, back to his best. I think that first game against Southampton, coming away with a clean sheet, not loads to do, but just doing his job well, would have, would have given him a um, a lot of confidence. And what he does do for us, he just commands his area so so well, so well, um, you know. And it's all it's almost one of them. If he had a couple of bad games, everyone would have been like, "Why have we sold Eaton? Why have we sold Eaton?" But it's all, I'm not seeing anybody mention once um, eaton's Heaton's name about being back at, back back in the team, and that shows how well postal
1: yeah, I agree. I think I think there was probably a couple of incidents that, that people are maybe questioning. There was a couple of spells, I think in the second half, if I remember rightly, where he'd committed himself quite early and I think he'd chosen to maybe punch the ball out or head it out at one point as well. And I think a, a couple of, of nervous fans on Twitter were questioning whether he maybe looked a little bit nervous. I, I didn't feel that. And I, Richard, like you say, I think, he, um, I think he made some quality saves. I mean, Everything now about him just screams class. I think.
3: Oh yeah, definitely. I think going back to what you said about he come out of his area and, and 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 headed the ball. Uh, I'm not quite sure what people are at if they think that's bad goalkeeping because that's exactly what you want him to do. He's read the danger and he's cleared the ball before the defenders got there. And what do you want him to do? Pick pick up pick up the ball and give away the foul. So um, mm. I, I think that's something
1: yeah, that's exactly. something what
3: Hart doesn't give you because uh, he was just you know stuck stuck to his line and Hart, Hart won't to come for them balls. So. No, I've got absolutely no, you know, um, question in his decision making to come out of his box. Uh. No, I, I don't either.
1: I, I do wonder whether people's nervousness around that just if people are still not fully over the beast days when Brian Jensen used to come out and we'd all go. Ugh! But yeah, no, we're a different kettle of fish now, and we've got Billy Mercer and and uh, yeah, our goalkeepers at a top draw. Um, Robbie, what followed from? The goal, Uh, to me, I think we actually started to play a lot better once we went one goal down. I think that actually was probably what we needed. Um, Suddenly the nerves were uh, were away and the the cobwebs had been cleared and there was no, you know, we weren't defending a nil nil. Uh, and a point away from home anymore, we were behind and we had to do something. And I think what followed was some incredible football. And I I went in at half-time genuinely thinking uh, we'd been much better side after we'd equalised. There was, um, well, Arsenal just weren't dealing with the the constant crosses into the box, the JBG corners, it was just their defence were having to scramble. Um, And then what that uh, basically ended with was an absolutely fantastic goal by Ashley Barnes. Now, Robert, he has taken all of the headlines this week for obvious reasons after that performance against Southampton. But I think because of the question about whether it was offside and a VAR review, I think what we lost was some appreciation of what an absolutely fantastic goal Barnes was.
4: Yeah, it was a good counter-attacking move. It's you'd often think it'd be Arsenal counter-attacking against us, but it was actually the other way around. I think it was just Jack Court just playing a long ball into the channel, Chris Wood did. Actually, sort of like what I was saying before about J.R. Riguez not running really the channels. Chris Wood got himself into the channels, held it up, played in Dwight McNeil, who I thought had a really good first half, had a bit of a a, a shot, I think it I guess it were a shot on goal, took a deflection, it falls into the path of Ashley Barnes, who couldn't miss. So, yeah, it was a nice, a, a nice team goal. Good to see us having a, a little bit of something, a bit of a different kind of style about it. Um, yeah, it's just a shame we didn't. Again, we didn't really kick on second half from that.
1: Did just out of curiosity, Richard, you were at the ground. I didn't. I didn't celebrate at first because I just we knew straight away that the commentary was telling us that well that's going to get reviewed by a VAR was he on was he off what was it like being in the ground because obviously usually when you get a, an equalizer like that and the flag stays down you're delirious because you've got a point did you guys get feel apprehension did you was it muted at all or did you just celebrate and just wait and see.
3: I think with every goal we've celebrated this season, I've had that initial burst of excitement when you score, and then there's always that little fear in the back of your mind that VAR is going to rule it out. Um, I wouldn't say it went delirious around me, because I was surrounded by uh, tourists, which was a little bit unusual. I, I had an American couple next to me and a Spanish family behind me, and then me and my dad celebrating in the middle of it. Uh, so, yeah, but from where it was, it, you never looked offside banned. Um uh, I, said they had a, I think they had a little check of it. I can't really remember. So, um, yeah, yeah, just I think like celebrating any other goal, really, just with that. But you have just got that little niggle in the back of your mind that you in case it does get ruled out
1: yeah it's something I'm finding really interesting in these early parts of the season to see how people are reacting to the threat of VAR um some people are just celebrating as they always would do and their natural instinct is just to cheer a goal um and worry about it later um I certainly felt that in the first goal against Southampton but the second goal I was quite muted so yeah I'm, I'm really interested to see how people are dealing with VAR for that one um Richard, sticking with you, obviously we moved into the second half with Barnes' goal coming pretty much bang on half-time. A bit of a drop in intensity I felt in the second half. Now, a lot of people are maybe putting this down to Arsenal just figuring out what we were doing well and neutralising that. Um, We've already talked about the change maybe coming a little bit too soon. Um, But in the end, it was an uncharacteristic mistake by JBG, which led to Arsenal taking the lead again?
3: Uh, yeah, there's a couple of points you raised about our intensity. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with our intensity went down. I think Arsenal definitely stepped it up. I think Dani Ceballos, uh you know, really got into the game second half. I think he's going to be a great signing and we really struggled to get the ball off him and because we were getting deeper and deeper, we didn't quite have that link uh, between the midfield and the defence and then the attacks. We started playing a little bit more long ball and the ball started coming back at us. Um, and then, yeah, it was a disappointing one from Gudmundsson. But I suppose if you do want us to try and play out from the back a little bit more and, and not just hoof it, every now and again uh, those mistakes might happen a little bit. But yeah, it should have it should have been quicker on the ball. And, you know, Sabayos read it well, played it into a and... You know, he's just so lethal and deadly from there. You, you, you know, you can't give players that time and space. And you know, he took his goal really well. So I just think for both the goals, Arsenal played some nice football, and I thought we defended that well. And you, and you could say two of the goals came from mistakes, which you know, which is disappointing, and that leaves a sour taste in the mouth.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, I think you made some really good points there, actually, in that. You do forget sometimes and you can be a little bit overcritical of your own players and think, oh, you know, why couldn't you keep that same level up in the first half? Why did you have to change? But one of the reasons why these sides are the top six sides or just the, the class that they have there and their ability to adapt to a game uh, in in play and in at half time and really second by second they can really react and neutralise the things that you're doing well and ultimately they don't need many opportunities to make it count and we we did two errors we think for, for both goals and they don't need much more of an invitation to, to convert those to goals um, and that's why they're where they are in the league and, and I think Burnley are getting better at that I think we are look at us at, at, at Southampton at the weekend they made a couple of errors and we capitalised on them so it's just It's just essentially where you sit in the food chain of of the Premier League. And I am really, really pleased with where we are at the moment. I think if we keep up this level of intensity, we won't be anywhere near the bottom three. I think we'll be comfortably within that 10th to 13th spot, I think. Um, Robbie, one thing that I would question, um, I think there were a couple of people maybe guilty of being a bit wasteful at times. We'd managed to get ourselves a couple of surprise opportunities that we didn't quite capitalise on. Um, and none more so than in the dying seconds of the game where Bonds did that silly foul when I think Lennon was clear um, and we probably had dying seconds of the game and an opportunity to try and get an equaliser. Um, I think that was a little disappointing for me. What did you take of that?
4: Yeah, I was, I was fuming with him. Like it's just there's absolutely no point running that kind of risk because even if he even if the referee doesn't spot it, it's going to get pulled back by VAR if anything comes of it anyway. Like you know, VAR is coming. You know you can't touch, put your arms on another opponent. It were just stupid and that's coming out saying that the Arsenal players fell to the ground easily. And he, he met, I think he used the reference to that, and it's just like, it's just daft and it just. Yeah, it just killed the game for us. I think it was in the like you said, the last minute. And it just killed all hope for us. And I, I sort of when the full time whistle blew, it actually I was actually annoyed, and I should have been a bit more, maybe a bit more proud.
1: Well, that's interesting. I left a bit of a sour taste in your mouth. Um, Robbie, sticking with you, it's interesting that you say there about Deitch's comments about Arsenal players diving. Um, it was something he made quite a big deal of after the game and he was clearly riled and wanted to talk about this. Um, and this has been on, uh, this is something, Robbie, that you sent to me before we started recording this evening, that um, it was a point that was picked up by talk Sport, um this evening and some, some real criticism in the press about Deitch's slightly strange rant, um purely because I think we know Arsenal players can dive, we know the history with Arsenal that they can cheat, um and they will do what they can to score. But I genuinely didn't see any of that on at the weekend.
4: Oh I saw I think Arsenal players did it, but I just think we do it just as much. Like I actually think we're the kings at it, to be honest. I think we're the best at it. That sort of fall into the ground easily. You see Ashley Barnes do it every single week. And it's just a bit like I've, I wanted Dutch to come out and talk about the performance, and then you know, and actually, and he see, it's like he tried to deflect the performance onto like Arsenal's gamesmanship, if you like. It was a bit of a a, a strange tactic from him, to be honest.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I'm I'm not sure I would have ever categorised us as being kings of going down to easily. I would have thought we were quite the opposite. Um, Richard, did you see anything at the game? that You wonder where Dutch has got this from.
3: No, not really. I didn't think Arsenal were too bad. I thought Torreira come on as a second half substitute and he, he he was the one player who I thought he's going down way too easy and, and he started having a bit of a moan. Um but yeah, overall I didn't think they were too bad and um and, and I've definitely seen us play against worse teams. I think it was just you know, merely just a pure frustration that we that we played well and we didn't quite um, you know, Get get the result that we deserved on on Dice's end, and we know he gets frustrated by it. Um, I agree in what Robbie says about Barnes. I think he's very very clever, if we can put it that way, at winning fouls. But I don't think we're the kings at going down. I don't think we dive and throw ourselves on the floor, and in terms of looking to win penalties and anything like that. But yeah, it was a bit of a strange one. It deflected away from the performance. I just, kept, you know, saying how proud he was and of the way the players played, but. I don't know the question he got asked uh, and what what the context was. So, or or did he just a random rant about it?
1: Yeah, he had a bit of just have a bit of a random rant about it. I think he was I think he was hoping for the question. I think he was. It, I did see the interview in full that he did, and it did feel a little bit like he was dying to say it. And he was just trying to find the opportunity. Look, I, I'm not, I'm not criticising Dyche here. I'll be very clear. Um, Dyche usually gets his post match interviews spot on. I just, it just seemed to be really strange that that was the game that he chose to go on a Arsenal cheat and dive run when actually that was probably one of the cleanest games that we've ever seen. And, and I do share both of your comments there in that we should be celebrating what an absolutely fantastic performance that was. Look, we've picked holes in it a little bit tonight because that's the whole point of the podcast. We we look at everything and we look at talking points, both positive and negative. Um, but that's the whole point of an analytical review of a game, you look at things that maybe you can do better. But the overriding view for me from this game was it was a fantastic performance, one of the best that we've had away in the Premier League and and we should be celebrating that. I, I do agree with both of you. So um I do wonder whether it's a little bit early in the season for Deitch to start his crusade and maybe he wants to, to pick his battles wisely. Um I will end then the review of the game with both of your man of the match. Richard we'll start with you.
4: Oh, it's,
3: it's a it's a real difficult one to give Man of the Match because I don't think anybody <laughs> had a bad game and I didn't think anybody was particularly outstanding. Uh, ooh, I probably I'm going to give it to because he got a little bit of stick last season and it's difficult playing against Arsenal. I'm going to give it to Jack Cork.
1: Oh, that's a good shout, Robbie. Whose was yours?
4: Uh, I'm going to go Tarkovsky. I thought I thought he we was outstanding. I thought James Tarkovsky was outstanding. I thought he got in the way of everything. I thought he handled the Bamyang really well. Uh, so, yeah, I've got to give him a bit of credit. So, yeah, I thought he was outstanding.
1: Excellent. And my man of the match was also James Tarkovsky. I thought he was... Equally as, as spectacular as Robbie makes out. So there you go. That is our review of Arsenal Away at the weekend. Um, tweet us your thoughts, send us an email, let us know what you thought, whether you agree with any of our points, or so if there's anything that you think we missed. the second half of this week's show we are going to look at our talking point of the week now this week has been all about the shirts and we have two very contrasting points to talk about with the that piece of attire that we all love to see when it's released we love to see our players in it and the thing that very much carries the badge this week the Clarets launched their Evergreen campaign, which is Burnley's third kit, and it is being launched in an eco-friendly way, in the sense that every single shirt sale that is made that is um sorry, every single sale of a shirt of the third kit is going to result in Burnley planting a tree in a woodland area in Burnley. They recognise that they can't save the planet single-handedly, but every little bit counts. Now, it does help, Richard, doesn't it, that that kit is also spectacularly beautiful. But what a great initiative.
3: Yeah, I think it's a good idea from uh, for Burnley. Obviously, we all know now the environment there's issues going on there, which people know a lot more about than myself. And, and, and to add it off, you know, it is a really nice kit, especially seeing it live on uh, on Saturday. You know, it looks really good. And I'm not, I'm, I don't mind the away shirt. Um, it's It's OK, but I wouldn't get it myself. Uh, and I'm not a massive fan of the home shirt just think it's a bit dull and so yeah it's a nice um, you know it's a, it's, a, it's a nice third shirt and I think at the end of the season when they go on sale for 10 a, a pop I think that's the, that's the one I'll be buying
1: I think I'll be buying it before it goes there gosh Richard at <laughs> go right the end of the season I like it frugal I like, I like that attempt um Robbie, certainly in terms of um, football businesses, environmental campaigns is not something that we usually see from from Premier League sides. But I think teams are starting to recognise the voice that they have and the global scale with which their messages reach. And I think to move into things like uh, local communities and charities and now environmental campaigns, it, it, do you think this is something we're going to see more of?
4: Yeah, I hope so. Um, we've done a lot of really good things in the community, like you saw the rise of the the Burnley FC in the community and the stuff that we've done towards. Uh, was it the FA Cup game against Lincoln where we got like the uh, uh, like o- OAPs to come out with the players and stuff? You know, we've done some really really good campaigns in that sort of getting like the people involved. But in terms of getting like like the environmentally friendly stuff, is like a, a big step for us, and I, I really hope that we actually continue this because. I think it's a really nice thing to do. I think it's something a little bit different because, like you said, we've never really seen it before from anyone else.
1: Yeah, I certainly would like to see um, more positive messages being... I just think it's just a really unique way of highlighting something and and, and just the the bits that we can all do to to help the greater good. So I definitely applaud the club for this initiative and I'm going to purchase it. I think it's an absolutely beautiful kit as well. Um, However, um, the issue of shirts has not been positive... All across the country this week. Um, For those of you who've not been following this story, Huddersfield Town have got themselves into a spot of bother all about their shirt launch this season, but not a third kit, not an environmental message, but actually their home kit. Just before pre-season finished, um they with all guns blazing they announced their new home shirt. And it was in association with um, Paddy Power who were going to be their main sponsors for the year. And the shirt that was announced was um uh, the Huddersfield Town's usual blue and white stripes, but with a huge sash right across the front of the search with sorry, the front of the shirt with huge Paddy Power logos written all the way down it. Um it was announced in a big fanfare as you would fully expect from from Uh, Paddy Power they like their big jokey attention-seeking statements don't they that's very much on brand for them Um, and Huddersfield Town wore it for their last I believe pre-season game of the season. Um, The FA immediately set out a press release and said that they were seeking an explanation from Huddersfield Town because the shirt clearly was in violation of their clear advertising and sponsorship rules. We should have all realised that something was a bit of a miss here. It all seemed a little bit suspicious. And indeed it was, not long after that pre season friendly had been played. Huddersfield Town and Paddy Power announced that the whole thing had been a big spoof and actually it ended up being a very well executed spoof. Paddy Power are instead launching a campaign that says that essentially it's the Save Our Shirt campaign. What their view is that shirt sponsorship, especially in betting companies, has gone far too far and we have to reclaim our shirts. Now, there's all sorts going on here, but Robbie, I'm going to come to you first because obviously you do have a background in um, in betting companies from a job perspective. And from an industry look, this is something that's gathering a lot of momentum. What is your take on the just the sheer volume of betting companies in football shirts and the level of sponsorship?
4: Yeah, I, like I say, I, I, I get people's... I know I I get why people don't like it because uh I I always like refer to like alcohol because I can't think of any alcohol sponsorships on shirts I think that stopped a, a few years ago um I remember growing up there was always a, a, a couple of cigarettes and stuff like that cigarette companies um and I think gambling will probably that'll happen to gambling eventually but I I don't I don't like again. I don't want to sound biased with my gambling background, but I just think that it does have a bit of an unpopular opinion in, in terms of its relationship with football. I think its reputation is really unfair. Um, like, like gambling is a serious issue, but I, I believe it's more of a mental health issue rather than the gambling industry. That's that it's more. Uh, I don't think the gambling gambling industry is responsible for. Um, like, I always think about the World Cup and like Budweiser sponsoring that and. The Olympics it's always seems to be something like McDonald's. It's same with like kid campaigns, it's always McDonald's behind that. And I always think it's the same thing. Uh, but there's never really that much of an outcry. And that's really that's really my argument against it. Um but in terms of like the Paddy Power, the Paddy Power Huddersfield sort of sponsorship, Paddy Power's like engagement and content, it's very community based. Like I think their target audience is like they go to them because they love their content. It's like a very much like a community, and I think Huddersfield Town and uh, are like a community club, a bit like ourselves. And what, after the spoof, like all got announced and all the fake shirts and stuff, they auctioned them out for charity. So it, that went so it was like a community thing. So it fit both, like both brands and both clubs like really well. <laughs>
1: I agree with that and I actually think it was an incredibly well-executed campaign and like you've just highlighted there Robert they they are actually um, they've they've made a limited edition of these pre-season friendly shirts the the fake shirts and they're they're selling them off to to go to charities which is a a fantastic initiative Um, but Richard there are a lot of people who are really criticizing, criticizing Huddersfield for this not just well they're in Huddersfield because of their partnership with Paddy Power and, and some of the articles that I've read are basically saying that the Huddersfield town is a, is a community club that's based on trust and integrity and pride and some really solid values and for them to enter into such a, a campaign with Paddy Power and such a PR stunt and to take the financial benefit from that doesn't seem to sit well with the club's values and a lot of Burnley fans are very anti-gambling sponsorships on Burnley shirts. I mean, obviously, we've heard Robbie's view of it, but where? what do you think the problem is with, with, with these gambling companies? Because, Richard, they're the only companies at the moment who are investing in football
3: sponsorship. Uh, that's a lot to take in from your question there, Natalie. Um, I suppose going back to the Huddersfield, that's difficult for me to talk about. I for my, I can only talk about how I thought, felt thought about it personally. I I just thought it was a you know a a really bit of funny a bit of a bit of advertisement. Um you know I I remember on Twitter seeing seeing the outcry of you know when they when they come out of the shirt and it and the outcry that was mainly what I seen wasn't the fact that it was Paddy Power sponsoring them it was just how bad the actual sponsorship looked on the shirt. Um and in terms of Burnley having it I've got to try and be honest again this is my point of view and I understand why people don't like it but football is a business now and it's a and looking at it from a cynical point of view if I can't remember who we've got this season is it Le Bar or whatever it's called if they offer us say 5 million in sponsorship and then you know say a a food company like Holland's pie again only offers us 500,000 then you're going to take the betting company whether that's right or wrong that's just that's just the way it is and you know don't get me wrong I I like an accumulator at the weekend Um, and just because Burnley have a sponsorship on a shirt doesn't mean I'm going to spend hundreds, hundreds of pounds on on doing silly bets so is there any correlation in the last few years to say because football sponsorship shirts uh, so, because because betting companies sponsorship sponsor shirts sponsor has been a massive rise in gambling addictions. I don't know. There might well have been, there might well have been. But like I said, for from from my point personally, I don't. I just don't like it because I think the sponsorship looks ugly. I just think the sponsorship on the shirt this season just looks, you know, unaesthetically pleasing rather than rather than the moral of it, it itself. I hope I've kind of answered the question from my point of view there. <laughs>
1: No, you have, and and you you are quite right. I kind of went into a ramble in my own head before I came to you, and you you quite rightly said, um, "There's way too much to unpick from that." So apologies for putting you on the spot, Richard. Um, I, I think a couple of the takeaways from that are are really important, and I think one of the, the points that I, I pick up on um, from you, Richard, is that you're saying obviously that the certain sponsorships just don't look good on shirts. I think I get that, and I think for me, I've i grown up, I can't remember a time where we didn't have shirt sponsors, and I, I don't know whether or not it, I necessarily agree with Paddy Power's campaign that the front of the shirt should be sacred, because I think if I look back to some of the shirts I had when I was nine years old and first going on to the football with my dad... Um, I, we always had a sponsorship we always had a shirt sponsorship you, you know remember that season when we were really struggling financially and we didn't have a shirt sponsor that year we were an absolute laughing stock of the league so um I, I don't necessarily have a problem with putting a shirt a sponsorship on the front of the shirt and i'm not 100% sure where Paddy Power are going with that so i think this i think this argument seems to run into two halves it's either having a sponsorship on the front of the shirt at all And this secondary argument that this pad power stunt has raised with being, well, is there too many gambling companies who now sponsor football and we should stop the gambling? Robbie's point was really interesting in that, you know, so many of the big advertisers, your McDonald's, your Coca-Cola's, those kind of people are then, and alcohol companies, they're no, um, you know, they're also vices that, that, if, if we go completely nanny state that we want people to get rid of so and we want to protect people from um junk food and alcohol abuse and in this sense gambling abuse as well so um yeah it'd be interesting to see how this one rumbles on uh, one final point um to both of you starting with you robbie and um, the fa have actually charged huddersfield which is the latest um which is what prompted me to bring this this week as well um they haven't charged them with the stunt itself, but they've charged them with violation of shirt sponsorship rules because they wore the shirt in pre-season. <laughs> do we? What do we think about that, Robert?
4: Yeah, I I, I just think that that goes towards what I've, like I said before, where they where they auctioned the shirts off at the end for charity. So I think they just took that risk. I think they knew they were going to get charged, but they knew that something good would come out at the end of it. So, like, like I said, the the, the whole charity thing you know, getting auctioned off is a, a really nice thing for it out for it to end, basically.
1: What about you, Richard? Do you think the uh, the FA just being the absolute grinch that stole Christmas by charging them, or do you think they had no choice?
3: Well, I think it sums up the FA sometimes, doesn't it? Have they got nothing be- <laughs> better to do than worry about charging othersfield and that? So, yeah, I just thought when I said that is just typical the FA. You did always find some little rule and regulation that would, you know, that would that would get them in trouble. Uh, but yeah, just to echo Robbie's, um, you know, thoughts. Uh, I think it's a great way to end it that they've auctioned it off to off to charity. So yeah, I get people will say it's a bad thing, but overall, I just thought it was a little bit of light-hearted fun. There's been a lot of good that's come off it, and if you're getting you know, all upset about that kind of thing, then you're uh, you know you need to get out a little bit more
1: excellent what a good way to summarize that um the issue of shirt sponsorship especially when it comes to betting companies is one that's going to rumble on quite a little bit so I do intend to revisit this at some point in the season um I know some of our listeners are campaigning quite actively um to be anti-betting companies on shirt sponsorships and I would love to hear from you at certain points in the season um just to see where this one goes because it's a really contentious topic and it's one that does get people very passionate so I think we're going to Leave it there in terms of the discussion point of the week. But if you are um either affected by the shirt sponsorship and gambling um companies being on shirts, or you are particularly passionate and an activist against them, then you know how to get in touch with us. Tweet us at no never or send us an email at podcast at no never.net, and we will look to revisit this later on in the season. <laughs> I'm going to end this week's podcast with a look at the local news from the Lancashire Telegraph. And um, this is the Burnley edition. And we have two news features this week. The first one, the Foresters arms in Burnley has been sold. Now this is a pub which was featured in a football hooligan documentary, which has now been sold um, for £140,000. Um, The pub actually became notorious in 2006 when previous owners allowed it to be featured on Danny Dyer's Real Football Factories documentary, which aired on the former TV channel Bravo. Um, The the owners have now put it up for sale. It went on right move and the estate agent Savills has now confirmed it's been sold. So an end of an era there for the Forest Arms. And finally, Schwabe Khan is sick to death of seeing food and smug travel pictures, he writes in this week's Lancashire Telegraph. He's saying that it would be very good to go to a meal without somebody wanting to take a picture of the food. He realises that we live in an age of self-glorification, but things have got completely out of hand. Eating is no longer something we do alone or with friends and families. We want to tell others what we are having. So if you're going out for dinner, listeners, don't don't post your picture. Don't take a picture. Enjoy it. Enjoy the company. And don't upset our friend Schwabe That is all we have time for this week and we will be um, looking ahead uh, in our special preview show at the weekend to um, Wolves away uh, on Saturday. So I will be joined by Dave Roberts and our Wolves friends to have a look at that game and to analyse the head-to-head stats. But for the time being, um, my thanks go as ever to Richard and to Robbie for joining me this week and analysing the result from Arsenal and debating the whole issue. Of shirt sponsorship. I also thanks also got to Matt for producing this week's podcast. Thank you, Matt. But finally, my thanks go to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this episode. Your support is very much appreciated, and we would not be here without you. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the No Never Podcast. Until next time.